0: Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Well, the title on the cover of the January 1, 2020 edition of Time magazine read, The Age of Anxiety. That was January 1. That was before COVID. Before the pandemic, anxiety was a plague. And it's only grown in the months since. Social unrest, economic uncertainty, political polarization, and the prospect of a winter surge have left many feeling weary, lonely, anxious, and afraid. God's Word speaks into our chaos with one of the most frequent commands in all of Scripture. Fear not. We're going to spend the next five weeks on that topic. Gospel truths for anxious times. Fear not. Now, if fear not or don't be anxious are some of the most frequent commands in all of Scripture, then then why not just pick five? Right? Why not just pick five over the next five weeks and and look at those five? Why look at Isaiah? I mean, we're going to be beginning here in Isaiah 40. We're going to look at the bulk of Isaiah 40 and 41, and then 43, and then jump to Isaiah 65. Why? Why Isaiah? Oh, I'm glad you asked. The reason why is because it's good for us to remember that the Bible is not just a collection of commands or a collection of truths or a collection of comforting sayings. The Bible is a story. It's a story about God rescuing a people for Himself. And we are part of that story. Because if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you have been grafted into that people. And so when we read about the people of God and what they experienced in the Old Testament, we are reading our story. The things that God has to say to His people then are things that He has to say to His people now. The kinds of things that they experienced then are very much like many of the things that we experience now. The Savior that they looked to then is the Savior that we look to now. Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. The hope of the world from beginning to end. And Isaiah, and in particular Isaiah chapter 40, is just one of those high points of Scripture. It's just one of those places where you want to stand up when you read it and go, Yes! And so I can't imagine another book to go to In the midst of anxious times, when our hearts may be unsettled and afraid, than right here in Isaiah. And in particular in Isaiah 40. And here's why Isaiah 1 through 39, well, I mean, all of Isaiah was written to the people of Judah before the exile, before they went into captivity in Babylon in 586 BC. It was all written before then. Isaiah chapter 1 through 39 is all about what's coming. God's saying through Isaiah, exile's coming. Exile, God is saying, from my hand. I am bringing punishment upon you as my people because you have turned away from me. Uh, one of my co-workers, when I started a church in St. Louis a million years ago, we were reading through Isaiah as a staff, and this co-worker said, you know what, we read Isaiah, and I feel like it's all flamethrowers and lemonade. I was like, what in the world are you talking about? And he's like, all these words of judgment in Isaiah, it's like God's got this huge flamethrower. He's just going... Then every now and then he holds out a glass and says, would you like some lemonade? That's Isaiah. And you see that through Isaiah chapter 1 through 39. But beginning in Isaiah 40, it is almost all lemonade. And here's the thing. So Isaiah 1 through 39, God is saying through Isaiah, here's what's coming. And then when you get to Isaiah chapter 39, verses 5 through, 5 through 7, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, mean, there's a whole other story there. Don't have time. Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. That's how Isaiah part 1 ends. And then Isaiah part 2, again, before the exile, before their age of anxiety, God says to Isaiah, tell my people how much I long to comfort them. How much my heart yearns to comfort them. Then, so this is written for God's people in exile, So that they could cling to this, anticipating the day that the exile would end. Isn't that awesome? I love the Old Testament. And again, this is our story. This isn't just their story. God yearns to comfort His people when they are facing trials, if they will but cry out to Him. And I use the word yearns because Isaiah would have us use the word yearn. And because Isaiah is speaking God's word, God is saying right from verse 1, those first two words, my heart yearns to comfort you. Comfort, comfort. In Hebrew, whenever there's a doubling or a repetition, it is meant to drive home intensity. This isn't just God saying, oh, Isaiah, listen, let them know that I, you know, I'll comfort them when they cry out to me, even though they drive me crazy. No. God is saying, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, verse 2, which is a way of saying, speak to their heart." This is Isaiah 40. This new section of this book that we're just going to dabble in over the next five weeks is written to a people before their age of anxiety to say, God is with you. God will come for you. God cares for you. He loves you. His heart yearns to comfort you. What does that mean for us? long before our age of anxiety, long before COVID-19, long before the political polarization that we experience, the social unrest that we experience, that uncertainty that we all have because of our you know, economic insecurity or, or just concerns about our own health, long before all of that, God spoke a word of comfort for you to hold on to right now in our anxious age. There are three voices that are crying out in this passage. We saw them in verse three, a voice cries. Verse six, a voice says cry. And in verse nine, lift up your voice with strength. Three voices that are crying out in this passage. Each of them have a message of comfort from God. And each of those messages actually call for a response from us. So we're going to look at three things, breaking out those three passages. First, the thing that we need to hear for our comfort from God is this, that His glory will be revealed to you. His glory will be revealed to you. Second, His word will never fail you. And then third, His arm will hold you close. His glory will be revealed to you. His uh, word will never fail you. And his arm will hold you close. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage and this uh, little um, (laughs) meandering journey through one of the most awesome books that you've given us, oh Lord, would you be speaking to our hearts? Lord, by your Spirit, would you be ministering your comfort to us through your word? You are the God of all comfort. And we come to you seeking comfort now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, his glory will be revealed to you. We're going to look at verses 3 through 5. And the thing that we hear God saying to us here in this passage is that he will move heaven and earth to come be with his people, he will move heaven and earth. To come be with his people. Now, in I mentioned the fact that this story is our story. That Isaiah wasn't just written for the people of Judah while they were in exile. It was written for all God's people. And, and you know, we could go through and do kind of a survey of the prophets, major and minor prophets. And see that in all the prophets as the people of God were approaching them, reading them in the Old Testament times, and, and even as God was speaking to the prophets, they wrote of things that they only saw from afar. So they were, they were foretellers. They told the truth to God's people then, but they were also foretelling in ways that they couldn't possibly uh, fully understand. And one of the ways in which our reading of the prophets can often be understood as we think about God's people then and the prophets themselves looking at the events that were being you know, foretold is that of a mountain range. So if you imagine driving across the plains, you know, North Dakota. I remember when we, we made our way, when we moved to Missoula, Montana, we drove across, you know, Minnesota and, and North Dakota and a big chunk of Montana and it was just flat. But then in a the distance you could see the Rockies begin to take shape. And as you got closer and closer, it looked like just this you know, two-dimensional thing. Like here are these mountains, but no depth. But then when you got closer into them, you realized this amazing depth. You would get deeper and deeper into these mountains. What looked to be just like a, you know, a cardboard cutout of a mountain range actually had great depth. It was the same way with the prophets. When the prophets were writing, and when the writings of the prophets were being read, it looked like, in a sense, just a cardboard cutout of a mountain range. When we get there, that will be when the exile ends. And what we couldn't, what they couldn't have known, and really even what Isaiah didn't fully know was that there was depth to this mountain range. There was an extension to the fulfillment of the prophecy over time. Now when you get to Isaiah 52 and 53, you realize that, man, Isaiah is so close to talking about Jesus here. But again, I don't think Isaiah even fully grasped that. And here in this passage, when we see in verses 3 through 5, a voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. That ought to be ringing bells in our, our, our heads because we know that John the Baptist said that. And so at one level, what you have in verses 3-5 through is Isaiah the prophet, again, God speaking through Isaiah, saying to the people, in the midst of your desolate place, in the midst of the exile, there in Babylon, so far from the promised land, a voice crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. I will come to save you. But it was only partially fulfilled then. It found a fuller fulfillment in John the Baptist taking up this very passage so that we might know that it was finding fulfillment yet again. And of course we can look at this passage and know that by the work of the Holy Spirit through the reading and preaching of God's Word there's a voice that's crying out to you in the midst of your wilderness even now. What does the voice cry out Prepare the way of the Lord. What is Isaiah telling us in this passage? He's telling us a few things. First, God will come to the aid of His people. God, King Jesus will come to the aid of His people. Almighty God. Look at verse 3. In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Now, in the uh, ancient times... Whenever a a dignitary was coming, often a uh, a processional route would even be constructed. So they could come in along a kind of highway, if you will. there would be ample room for people to see on either side. and, And the way would be made straight for this visiting dignitary or this returning conquering king to come to his people. He comes to a people in a desert place. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Again, remember, this is written to God's people in exile in Babylon. Make straight away. The king is coming. Nothing will hinder his progress. That's what we see in verse 4. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. What we are reading there is that the road will be straight, the road will be level, the road will be free of obstacles. Nothing will get in the way of God coming to His people. However, note that we aren't the ones who build this road. Every valley shall be lifted up. Not... Get to work, people, in the desert. Start building a road. Every valley shall be lifted up. And every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. God will see to it. God himself will see to it. And his glory will be revealed to them. Verse 5, "...and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." What is the glory of the Lord? Well, going back to the Old Testament, going back to the time of the Exodus, the glory of the Lord was seen in the pillar of cloud, in the the pillar of fire that led the people out of the Exodus throughout the day and rested with them at night time. The glory of the Lord appeared as a devouring fire at Mount Sinai when the law was given to Moses. The glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds when Jesus was born. And the shepherds were afraid. John tells us that the glory of the Lord is most fully seen in the person of Jesus Christ. It's in John 1.14. And paradoxically, John tells us that Jesus' glory was most fully revealed when He was lifted up on the cross. There, the glory of the Lord was revealed. The glory of God is seen most fully in the glory of Jesus Christ and He has come to our desolate place. Jesus came. He, He went into the wilderness. He came from heaven to earth To show the way from the earth to the cross. Your debt to pay from the cross to the sky. Why? So that the Holy Spirit could be poured out. That all flesh might one day cry out either in joy or in agony. With the revelation of the glory of God. There's a partial fulfillment that took place in the time of God's people in exile, there was a greater fulfillment that took place with the coming of Christ. There's in a sense a fulfillment here whenever anyone turns to Jesus Christ for their salvation and one day yet to come, we'll reach the end of the mountain range. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. What's our response then to this good news? It's simply this, repent repent remember the message of John the Baptist John the Baptist took these words and he said I'm just the voice of one crying out in the wilderness it's not ultimately my voice it's God's voice and my message is one of repentance and so taking the words of Isaiah off the lips of John the Baptist we respond with repentance turn to God now, is that where you would think to start in the midst of an anxious time? I'm not saying that we're experiencing all this anxiety or that you are experiencing this anxiety because God is punishing us in some way. I'm not, I don't know, honestly. I, I do know that God's Word tells us, we saw this when we looked at First Peter, that God is refining His church and so we can expect to some degree that God is seeking to refine each and every one of us. And, and part of that refining includes having sin be exposed. Maybe it's in the midst of our anxiety just exposing our, 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 our failure to trust Him. And so maybe repentance in the sense of returning to the Lord and saying, I've been, I have been navigating this craziness apart from you when you have said, I will help you. Oh God, forgive me. I return now to you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, in the midst of your wilderness right now, God calls out to you through His Word and says, return to me. Even as I'm coming to you and I'm making the way to come to you, in fact, in Jesus Christ, I have come to you, just repent and turn to me. As we do, His glory is revealed to us. We begin to believe in Jesus. We put our hope in Him. We long for Him. Our, our prayer, our heart's desire becomes something like that God would increase in us an appreciation and a marveling at His grace that we might behold the beautiful and great glory of Jesus. And so repent. Second, Isaiah tells us that God's Word will never fail us. His Word will never fail you. Take a look at verses 6 through 8. A voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. There's a comfort here. It's this, that though we are transient, God's word is permanent. We are transient. (laughs) Grass. All people are grass. If there's anything that speaks to transience, it's that. Especially in a Middle Eastern culture. Kentucky bluegrass probably wouldn't have done well there. And fading flowers, the word beauty is actually the word hesed, it's the word glory. All the glory of man is fading. And we know that. You you might be at an age where it feels like, man, you're always going to be this strong and this vital. Some of us aren't. And it happens so fast, didn't it? But God's word, it's permanent. It's unfading. It's unfailing. Man in all of his promises, man in all of his glory, man in all of his earthbound hope is fleeting, transient, but God's word is permanent. The word of the Lord stands forever. Now again, coming back to First Peter. Peter took up these words. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. In 1 Peter chapter 1 he takes that and links it to the gospel. This word is the gospel that was preached to you. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. The good news of the gospel is about Jesus and what God has done for all who would look to Him in faith. That word will never fail. It will never fail. So then, what should be your response? Flee to God's word for comfort. Flee to God's word for comfort. Listen, we've all, we've all had those nights or those days or those seasons when earthly comforts fail us. We come to the end of ourselves. We realize it's not going to be the job, it's not going to be our health, it's not going to be you know the friends, it's not going to be the the car, it's not going to be the family, it's not going to be the kids, it's not going to be anything on this earth that will ultimately bring us comfort. Where do we flee? God says, All those things pass away. My word will never fail. Flee to my word for comfort. Now, the the presence of God that we saw in terms of the glory in the first point. And the Word of God come together in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the Word of God, who is the supreme comforter. Again, if we were to be able to spend more time in Isaiah, we would take Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, and hold up Luke chapter 3, where Jesus takes Isaiah chapter 61 and says, Behold, I am here. I proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I offer comfort to those who mourn. So ultimately we look to the enduring word of Jesus Christ. His glory will be revealed to you. His word will never fail you. And then third, His arm will hold you close. Now we're going to look at verses 9 through 11, but we're also going to go back to verses 1 and 2 to draw this out. And there are four things that we see here that speak to the the power and the grace of God demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ and His atoning work. Now the first thing that I think we need to see here has to do with the faithfulness of God to His people. The covenant faithfulness of God to His people. Look at verse 1. Comfort, comfort, comfort. My people says, your God. Now again, keep in mind, Isaiah chapter 1 through 39. it all disappear. You're all going to go away. And yet, God's covenant faithfulness remains. Remember back when we started our our look at uh, Psalm 14 and the generation of the righteous. How in verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 14, we saw that no one is righteous. And then right there in the middle of verse 4 of Psalm 14, God refers to His people. My people. My people drawn out from among the none who are righteous entirely by God's grace. God has bound Himself... Listen, if you are a Christian, God has bound Himself to you by oath. You are not one of God's people because of the strength of your hand, but because of the strength of His. You are not one of God's people because you have pledged to follow Him, but ultimately, because He has pledged Himself to you. And He will never, ever let you go. You do not remain a Christian because your grip is so strong. You will endure to the end because His grip is strong. So in those moments when you feel like all you are doing is letting go, He has said, I will never let you go. Why? Because He's bound Himself by oath and covenant to His people. <laughs> that is such good news. Covenant faithfulness. It's seen right here in this passage with the, pl- with the pronouns. My people, not those people. Your God. Good news. So there's this covenant faithfulness. But there has to be a price that's paid because we have sin. God is holy. God is just. God has bound himself to this wayward people. What has he done so that this restoration can take place? So that we can know his presence again even though we have run far away. And that's seen in verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare, that word warfare could maybe better be translated hard service or hardship, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That, is, that just screams Jesus. And here's why. In the book of Leviticus, wherever you see that language, her iniquity is pardoned, especially in the passive. It's something that has, in the the passive tense, it is referring to, again, if you go back, you'll see this all through Leviticus. Every single time you find this language in the passive, it is referring to God receiving as acceptable a blood sacrifice for the atonement of the people's sin. It's always there. And so here's God saying to these people that have been in covenant relationship with Him, tell them that their iniquity has been atoned for. Now remember, this isn't a cardboard cutout. We're driving through the mountain range. And by the time we get to Isaiah 52 and 53, we know whose blood it is who made full atonement for the sins of the people. It was the suffering servant. It was Jesus who would make Full atonement. Full. So this idea of she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What that means is simply, here's the sin. The doubling in the Hebrew has to do with the idea of something being folded over on top of itself. So two halves folded over perfectly matching. What he's saying here is in the same way that the the mercy seat covered the Ark of the Covenant completely... And that's where the blood of atonement was placed. So too, God's covering of the iniquity folded over, perfectly covers the sins of the people. Full atonement found where? Not in the bulls and goats that had to continually be sacrificed, but in the final sacrifice, Jesus. God is faithful to His covenant. He has purchased a people by the blood of His Son. And he has said, his arm is strong, and he'll hold his people close to his heart. That's what we see in verses 10 and 11. Verse 10 Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. In the Hebrew, to say that his arm rules for him is just a way of saying he doesn't need any help. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. What is his reward? What is his recompense? What is it that he has obtained by the blood of sacrifice? Well, Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 11. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, the people of God, are his reward. You are his reward. The strong arm of the Lord comes. He brings with Him His people, His reward. And He holds them close. Verse 11, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is, I mean, just you know, four lines of this one verse devoted to this tender attentiveness, even to the lambs, to the little ones to the frail believers, to those that are barely holding on, Isaiah tells us, and remember, God is speaking to His people. I'm going to hold them close. I love the Getty song he will hold me fast when I fear my faith will fail Christ will hold me fast when the tempter would prevail he will hold me fast I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path for my love is often cold he must hold me fast and in the refrain he will hold me fast he will hold me fast for my savior loves me so he will hold me fast Isaiah would have said yes and amen. God has a word of comfort for you. He yearns to speak it to your heart. It is a word that is spoken to us, to you, in your darkest hour. Whether that's now or, or yet to come. It's a word that's to be on our lips as well. In verse 9 and 10, verse 9 especially, go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Who are the ones crying out now? It's us. We're to take this good news of comfort from God and, and cry out to others with it. Jesus said that we're the light of the world. Jerusalem was a city that was set on a hill. You always went up to Jerusalem or down from Jerusalem, no matter what angle you were coming at it from. Because it was elevated. And at night, when it was dark all around, the lights of the city would, would shine throughout the region. And Jesus said, you are that light. Ultimately, He said, I'm that light. But I shine through you. We, as Christians, as recipients of this comfort from God, are called to be people who take this comfort, Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians 1, comfort that we've received from the God of all comfort in all our afflictions, so that we might comfort those in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. The church is called to be ministering, proclaiming, and demonstrating the comfort of God in the midst of a dark time. The church always shines most brightest against the backdrop, backdrop of darkness. So this isn't just God saying, I want to come comfort you in the midst of your darkness. He's saying, I have a purpose for you in the midst of it as well. And that's good news. To all who will put their hope in God. God says my glory will be revealed to you. And it is revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He says my word will never fail you. And the word of Christ will not fail. And he says my arm will hold you fast. And Jesus says I am the good shepherd. I've laid down my life for my sheep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this reminder from Your Word of the great comfort that You offer to all people who put their trust in You. And Lord, we know that we're in an age when many of our neighbors, our our family, co-workers who don't know You are anxious and are fearful. And I pray that You would help us to be people who have so received and rested in the comfort that You provide to us in Your Son, Jesus Christ, that we become people who proclaim who shout, who speak of your comfort to those needing to experience it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.